Welcome to Everything Life Coaching. I'm John Kim. And I'm Noelle Cordeaux. We are the founders of Lumia. And we're super passionate about all things coaching, and we want to share what we've learned from over a decade of coaching and training thousands of life coaches. Let's dive into the science and magic of coaching. Hello, everyone. Noelle here, and welcome to Everything Life Coaching. It is my deepest pleasure to have Rena Martine, a Lumia alum, a rock star who launched a six-figure coaching practice right out of the gate, a human who has coached over 100 women one-on-one and is now in addition to being a fantastic coach, a sexuality educator, now a viral TikToker, and you are really catapulting into the world with your new book, The Sex You Want. Rena, welcome. Ah, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Well, uh, let's orient everyone to who you are in the world. I've known you for a while. It's been such a pleasure personally in following your journey. Please give us the cliff notes of your story because your story is so great from prosecutor to sex expert. How did we get here? Yeah. Okay. So cliff notes, I, I, I will try to make them as cliffy as I possibly can, but I was a prosecutor, a deputy district attorney with the LA County DA's office for 14 years and specialized in sex crimes, child abuse, and domestic violence cases for the majority of that career. And about 10 years in, I reached my burnout point when it came to sex crimes. Mm. I realized that there was only so much I could do in a system, in a justice system that doesn't always provide the justice that victims and survivors need. So I started prosecuting other kinds of cases within the DA's office and and really fell out of love with, with the job. And it became a job instead of a calling. And simultaneously to that, you know, going on in my professional life, in my personal life, I was um, on my own journey of healing through sexual shame, of figuring out, you know, what's wrong with me. Spoiler alert, the answer was there was nothing wrong with me, but, you know, what's wrong with me that I don't want this conventional white picket fence, monogamous vanilla life. I was married at the time. You know, I had a lot of great friends. My life looked really good on paper. I had a great career, but I was still unsatisfied. So I was going through my own personal journey of working through that. I I was in therapy for several years. I was devouring the books and the podcasts. And I came out the other end like with this kind of new lease on life. Like, oh my God, this is what it feels like to live. And so I thought to myself, if I could help one woman do what it took me years to do in a much shorter period of time, I would feel like I'm still of service. I would feel like I, I would have perhaps a chance at a second calling in life when it came to my career. My original plan was to go back to school and become a therapist. And uh, the pandemic hit and I faced my my major existential reckoning, as, as many people did. And I thought, you know, what if there was a way I could get trained to start working with folks one-on-one now, instead of waiting the the 10 years and a few hundred thousand dollars it would cost me to go back to school to become licensed as a therapist. And so I was fortunate enough to discover Lumia and, and you and John, and I already had a passion for positive psychology beforehand. So Lumia just was the perfect fit for me. And, um, and now I'm so grateful that 
that I got a coaching certification because I am a much better coach than I would have made a therapist. So that is the nutshell of how we got here today. Ah, well, uh, congratulations, you know, and, and when you came into coaching, when you came into coach training, and this is something I think is, is important for anybody who's thinking about becoming a coach, to what extent did you, or could you have imagined who you would become? Oh, Noelle, like, you know, I, I'm sometimes tempted to say this is a dream come true, but I could not have fathomed the dream. (laughs) I could not have fathomed the life I have now. And I have these beautiful full circle moments. I had one recently when I went to go see Emily Nagoski speak. And for those who don't know her, I know you're familiar with her, but she wrote Come As You Are. She has a new book out called Come Together. She is a New York Times bestseller. She, in my opinion, is the godmother of of modern sexuality. And um, I was at her, her book event here in LA. And as I was there, two women who I didn't know who recognized me from Instagram approached me and wanted to buy my books from the same bookstore and and they were there. And so I was able to, to sign those and, and, you know, they bought them from the store and that was just one of those, Oh my God, if you had told me years ago, I'd be signing copies of my book at an Emily Nagoski event. I never would have believed you. And this is, you know, not to brag, but I think we should all brag more often, but to say like the future is unwritten and that is so freaking cool. We just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, what a beautiful tenant of coaching itself that all of us have the capacity to write into our future based on what's going well uh, in our lives, the strengths that we have, what's showing up. And then, you know, also taking the time to bottle moments like that, savor, put them in our back pocket, pull them out on a bad day and be like, well, that was a lovely memory to dip into for this moment. Yeah. Some people know, some people may not. I know, you know, my background is human sexuality also. And when I was starting out in this space, you know, folks would ask me, why are you, why are you pursuing a PhD in human sexuality? And the answer was, well, sex is really fun. Like sex is really fun to talk about and think about. And so if I'm going to do something with my time, like I like this world, you know, like I, I like these topics. What's your relationship to, to that premise? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, I've worked with sex for a very long time because I was a sex crimes prosecutor and, um, at the time that I was doing it in the legal world, I was almost approaching sex like a food inspector would be approaching food. I was always on the hunt for danger and looking at all the ways that this thing can go wrong. And now I get to approach, if we're going with the same analogy, approach sex the way a chef would approach food as this thing that brings us just deep delight and pleasure. It's something that we all partake in. You know, food is something that's universal and sex is pretty universal, except we have a really hard time talking about it. And so I love that there's so many different ways to approach this thing that we're all either doing or have done or want to do for the most part. And, um, and, and really there's an endless number of ways to, to pull those threads from the general universe of sex itself. Yeah. So like, in the world of coaching, we get to say the quiet part out loud. 
you know, so often as a coach. And the way that I think about it is the analogy of uh, having a lighthouse and a flashlight. That when you are working as a coach, saying the quiet parts out loud, you are a lighthouse. You are a beacon to others. Delicious food, delicious sex, all of it. And then when you're in session with folks, you put the flashlight on to look at the dark spots that your individual client might not want to see. What was it like for you to make the journey towards saying the quiet parts out loud? Ooh, like for me personally in my own life? Yeah, for you, because I know a lot of people come into coaching, they have a niche, they have a dream, they have something they want to do in the world, something they want to change in the world, and then you have to show up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when we're talking about these kind of watershed moments, right, that we can put in our back pocket, one that I discuss a lot, you know, I talk about in my book, I, I've talked about in the TEDx talk I gave is one Monday night as I was sitting across from my therapist who I'd been working with for a long time. Um, at that point, she said to me, Rena, there's a scream buried deep inside of you mm. and it's dying to get out. And like that, that one statement was the key that unlocked my proverbial prison of my own making, right? I thought, well, I don't have a choice. I have to do these things. I have to follow this script. And it was the next day that I, I went to my then husband and I was like, I don't want to be married anymore. Wow. And, and, and that was, you know, as far as giving a voice to something, because as soon as she said it, I was like, you're right. You're absolutely right. And having somebody who I just, I respect her so much and I, I worship her and, and seeing me so clearly and seeing that and putting a name to that, I, I will never be able to stop thanking her for those words because those were the magic words for me. Yeah. Wow. And, and way to live into it, right? So, you know, some of, some of the topics that you've been writing about are polyamory and threesomes, um, same-sex attraction, fantasy. Uh, these are, are topics that most folks don't tackle head on. Two questions here. How does it feel to be leading the charge? And what has the reception been like? Ooh. Um, how does it feel to be leading the charge? It I, I recognize that I'm coming from a place of privilege here. I am an able-bodied cisgender white woman living in a major metropolitan area in a progressive state. I live in Los Angeles. And I'm also somebody that people um, have some regard for because of my background as a prosecutor. And so, you know, we don't have a lot of examples especially if we're talking about polyamory in mainstream media of, of it going right and it working well. And I know there are a lot of folks who don't have the privilege to be able to talk about these things mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. And so I am just so honored that I'm in a place where one, I, I'm allowed to talk about this, but two, that I can take what I used to do for work and say, look, I was as straight-laced as they come professionally, and look how much joy these unconventional, and I'm throwing that in air quotes, or non-mainstream practices have brought to my life and using that as a way to help others. And, you know, my book starts off with a story about me visiting a sex worker, which is still technically illegal in the state of California. And so 
saying, I'm, I'm throwing myself up here. I'm throwing my life and my stories out, out here as a way to help you feel not alone because I didn't have that really throughout my own journey. And that's, that's truly what I needed. Mm. Um, so yeah, that is yeah. cool. And then the second part of the question, which was how, how is the reception been? It's been, it, it kind of depends on, on the audience that we're talking about. So I teach one of the platforms I educate on is called peanut and they have several million users. It's, um, an app for women who are on their motherhood journey, either trying to conceive or pregnant or are moms. And I've been teaching a few classes on there twice a month for the last few years. And the topics that really land with folks there are so interesting. Um, I, the most popular topic I teach is called, so you want to have a threesome. And Peanut now has told me, they're like, Rena, just keep coming back and teach that class once a month because like our numbers of attendees are just through the roof when you teach that. And like we tend to, and I get to see how many women out there are living in these very conventional lifestyles. You know, they're moms, they're at home, and they're just dying to do something different. And that is super cool. On the other hand, I will have people in my personal life who get who get a bit offended at how often I talk about ethical non-monogamy and polyamory because it can feel threatening to somebody's sense of their own worldview, especially if you are in a monogamous relationship. These questions will start coming through your head like, oh my God, is my partner going to come to me and want that? So overall, I'd say the reception to all of the things you mentioned has has gone pretty well, but there are still people who aren't yet ready to hear this. And, and in my chapter in the book on um, non-monogamy, I, I say in, here, in there, I'm not here to try to sell you on this, but please, even if you want to skip this chapter, read it because you will know someone and you can be an ally to them because the, the rates of non-monogamy are going up and those practicing it ethically. And so I urge folks if it comes to sexual fluidity or kink or non-monogamy, um, and you do end up picking up my book, don't skip past those chapters because even if they do not apply to you, I guarantee at some point they will apply to somebody who you know and care about. Yeah, absolutely. And what I really respect about the way that you craft crafted the book and the way that you've crafted your practice is that you've not just relied on your own story. You worked one-on-one -on -one with over a hundred people to learn the ins and outs of the reality of a strengths-based coaching approach to sex and sexuality. I believe that you are one of the first people in the world, if not the first person, to take sex and coaching as, as a framework to say, this is how we're going to attack it. How did what did you learn through that process? What was that process like for you in developing yourself? Yeah. Uh, and I love that you pointed that out because in the truest sense of the word, I, I'm more of a women's empowerment coach mm -hmm. and there are so many of those out there, but my approach is through the bedroom. So I say your path to empowerment starts in the bedroom because if you can become shameless when it comes to sex, the, the most hidden part of who we are, the thing that we are shamed the most for as women. And if you can become shameless when it comes to that, by definition, it's going to spill out into every 
part of your life. Um, and so I will work with clients. I'm not a career coach, Noel, you know that. But people who are like, yeah, I, uh, I quit my job as a result of the work we did together. Or I started laying down boundaries with family members. I mean, these big life-changing things that extend beyond like, okay, I can have better orgasms now, or I'm not getting triggered during sex. But, you know, I saw what it did for me and, and my own life once I worked through the sexual part of it. And I started, you know, traveling solo. I started just doing things I was always too scared to do. And so that I think is the power of this work is that it gives you permission. That's a lot of what I do in the work I, I do with my clients gives you permission to say, I'm going to do something just because it feels good and that my happiness is actually a good enough reason to want to pursue anything I want in life. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, that is such a, a core component, I feel, of understanding why sex and sexuality is important to talk about. When we look at Kate Hefferon's uh, theory of happiness uh, or theory of flourishing, really. What are the components of flourishing? It's a third achievement, a third contentment, and a third hedonic. And to me, sex bridges really all three in, in a very yeah. primal, multifaceted, fundamental way. Um, I know that one of the things that you talk about a lot is fantasy. Mm. And I love that you talk about fantasy because it seems like a really accessible way for people to begin saying, well, what does contentment look like? What does pleasure look like? What does achievement look like? What have you learned about fantasy? Oh, so much, Noelle. And also, there's a lot of great research that's kind of coming to the forefront just in terms of play and the importance of play as adults. And 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 that's really what fantasy is, um, a chance to reclaim the type of play that we did as kids that wasn't outcomes-based, that was just, you know, we're pretending to be princesses or bakers or cops or robbers, right? And we're doing it for the sheer delight of it, not with an end goal in mind. And fantasy, fantasies themselves are these unique win windows into our underlying emotional needs. And I'll give an example to kind of show how, how that comes, comes into play. But um, I love hearing about other people's fantasies because it shows me, it's like a diagnosis of, of what it is they're missing in their life. But the most common one I talk about is sexual submission fantasies amongst women. So the data is telling us that 93% of women have had fantasies about being sexually dominated. And we, we look at the fact that Fifty Shades of Grey uh, was the number one selling book of the last decade. And so why is that? What is the emotional need there? Well, the emotional need is that in a time where as women, we are expected to make more decisions than we ever have mm -hmm. as, as partners, some of us as moms, as as employees, as business owners and CEOs, as leaders, we have an emotional need for someone else to just uh, make those decisions for us. Yeah. And so that tracks and fantasy is a way to, to start playing, but a way to also get curious about, okay, if I'm thinking about this thing, 
what is the underlying emotional need I'm trying to meet? And are there other ways in my life where I can start meeting that too? Whether it's, hey, I'm making a lot of decisions and I'm going to ask my, my partner, can you plan dinner three times a week? Can we split that emotional labor, right? It's this beautiful glimpse into what you're actually craving in your life overall, not just what you're craving in the bedroom. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about submission fantasies as a way to uh, give life to the unseen emotional labor that women do across the board is a fascinating construct, you know, incredible. So this is this is a great opportunity to throw coaching in. So what do we do with it? You know, I know that one of the differentiators about your book is that it comes with so many great exercises. And you've said that often the difference between an idea and change is homework. Yeah. Tell us about that. How does that play into your book? How does that play into your practice? What do people need to know about making these things actionable? Right. So uh, I take pride in the fact that this book doesn't just talk about the thing. It tells you how to do the damn thing. (laughs) Um, So if we take the BDSM example, um, there's a whole chapter in my book on, it's called Be a Good Girl. And and we talk about why there's a whole chapter in the book because 93% of women have had these fantasies. Okay, cool. So what do I do with that, Rena? I give you tools, how to start getting curious about what those fantasies are. So I advise folks Go take the BDSM test, which if you're curious and you're listening, it's bdsmtest.org. If you're partnered, have your partner take it too. And I I walk people through, all right, now this is how you compare your results. Um, here's how you start indulging in those. Say you've never played at all when it comes to power exchange in that way. A tool I recommend in the book is use a sleep mask and practice surrendering control by blocking out one of your five senses, right? Your sense of sight. Uh-huh. And that can be the, the babyest steps. So I talk about baby steps and babyest steps a lot throughout the book. I give you apps to try that these are, I'm not being paid to recommend, you know, specific companies. I, I give you products to try. I tell you, okay, you're looking for ethical porn, for example, go to these websites. Oh, you're looking to, to find a, a playmate for a threesome. Try these websites. And because I think that's the kind of guidance that people need. And when I was going through my own journey, part of the reason it took me so long was that I had the therapeutic part of it. So I had my therapist who was helping me work through the the shame, but then I was kind of left on my own. Like, all right, well, how do I find a play party? What is this fantasy that I have? Like Mm -hmm. I had to go find all of that information and education isn't the same as guidance. And so I'm taking the guesswork out for you. And that's what I do with my clients too. I'm like, okay, this week, what about You go and you buy one thing, right? Or, okay, you've made your list of 27 things, your bucket list. Let's pick one off this list and find the babyest step that you can commit to doing this week to getting one step closer. Like um, I have a client now who had said, I want to start taking more pride in my appearance. That was on her list. Mm -hmm. I said, well, okay, what does that mean? She's like, well, you know, I used to be really into makeup and trying out like all these really creative um, makeup techniques. And I just, I don't know, I work from home now and I don't, I don't have the incentive to do it. And I said, well, would you be willing to one night this week 
playing around and and getting gussied up just for the sake of it and for the fun of it and sending me a photo for accountability. And she did. And now she's doing it at least once a week because she's like, this was so much fun. And so it's, you know, everyone's baby a step is going to look different. But, um, but yeah, it starts with action. It doesn't start with reading about it. It starts with doing the damn thing, as I like to say. Yeah. And, and what you're mirroring is the formula for neuroplasticity. So uh, let's talk brain stuff. <laughs> so, so it, you know, as the way that, that we grow new neuropathways is through insight, experience, insight, insight, experience, insight. And when we're thinking about coaching as a companion for therapy, as a companion for that awareness, what you are directly putting in front of your clients and your readers is the ever missing experience piece so that you have the opportunity to then form continued insight about how was that for you? How did it go? What did you learn? How did you grow? And then more experience and more insight. Yes. We blossom into the world. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So um, I looked at an article that you sent over from the, The Guardian, and it talks about the fact that due to Roe, the fall of Roe, people are having less sex. And specifically uh, in the U.S., in a specific um, Gen Z subset, mostly generation, um, and then thinking about what sex actually does for our well-being. Zooming like way out from a societal perspective, if I, and you know, I feel like this work has a major role to play. You know, what do you see? Why is sex good for us, and why is this type of repression a problem? Yeah, I mean, on a just a chemical level, orgasms are so good for us. I like to call them nature's free multivitamin that also feel really, really good. So they, um, they reduce cortisol levels. So, you know, the stress hormone, um, they help with sleep. They are nature's kind of great pain reliever. Um, the list go, and they feel really, really good. And so the list goes on and on. And so orgasms are good. Sex, as we mentioned before, is one of the few ways we get to play as adults. Um, it is a third thing that we do. And Emily Nagoski talked about this, talks about this in her new book and that in a relationship, it's normally a third thing that brings couples together. And whether that third thing is, you know, we're both into rock climbing or we like the same genre of jazz and sex can be this third thing, this thing that, that creates a bond in partnership. Sex can be also a tool for folks who are exploring their orientation, their gender identity. And if we're making sex now because of Roe, this dangerous thing, people, you know, our brains don't like to do things that we perceive to be threats to our bodily safety. And that's what sex, the reality that sex has become for many people. And if we have that in conjunction with all the attacks being made on, on gay rights and trans rights in this country. There's so much messaging telling us it is not safe to be a woman. It is not safe to be queer. It is not safe to be trans. And it's not even safe to, to have sex anymore. 
And that is just, you know, sucking the life out of something that brings us and is designed to bring us so much joy. Yeah. And, and it gets, um, it gets dangerous for society because when we repress who we are, our, our self-expression and our sexual self-expression, it leads to depression in, in a very, in a very real way. And so, you know, folks aren't living into their lives and this is kind of what you experienced in your previous life was the prison of your own making as you defined it. You know, that's pretty extraordinary. So what are some learnings that you've gained around unlearning behavior? Because the, what we're talking about is really the weight of the binary, the weight of patriarchal culture, the weight of misogyny, the weight of white supremacy, like in all of it, it's, it is a massive load to fight yeah. through. What do we need to know about unlearning norms, yeah. behaviors, fears? Yeah. And I think that this kind of ties back into what we were just talking about too, which is the importance of finding your people. Um, <laughs> There's, you know, a whole chapter in the book called Find Your People. And and you talk a lot about loneliness, Noelle. And when we've taken sex out of the equation, you know, there is a sense of loneliness there. And when it comes to unlearning, finding your people or just meeting new people who have different life experiences than you is so critical. And that might be hard to do if you live in kind of an insular part of the world. And it's beautiful that, you know, there's so many podcasts out there now and there's there's Reddit forums. Like there are communities available to you to understand that your people are out there, even if you're feeling alone. In terms of unlearning, and I'll give like a little tip that that I kind of I walk my clients through is um, we do an external messaging inventory. Um, that's a homework assignment I give my clients. It's also one of the first homework assignments in the book. And it's the least fun out of the entire book, unfortunately, but it's okay. Let's take an inventory of what messages you got about what it means to be a woman, what messages you got about love, about sex, about self-pleasure. Typically they're going to be not so great messages. Um, and okay. So who did that message come from? Um, how is that that person's lens different than mine such that I can see where, where they're coming from? So for example, say you're, you got the message about sex that it's supposed to be saved until marriage. And that message came from your mom. Okay. Well, how was your mom's lens different than yours? Mm-hmm. And has she done the thing you're trying to do? And it might be, no, my mom was raised in a really religiously conservative household. She was never encouraged to go to college, right? All these things. And so we can start to see that we're all behaving as rational actors here based on our own reality. But that if this person has not done the thing that you are trying to do, then that isn't the lens that you might want to adopt going forward. And I like to say, don't take criticism from somebody you wouldn't take advice from. And And that's really what we're talking about here. How do you begin to dismantle these? Okay, well, what are the stories I've adopted as my own? Are they my own? Who did they come from? And do I still want to carry those with me? Yeah. And and it sounds like, too, building that relationship with the self of 
of even learning to build that muscle of defining what you actually like. Yeah. Is, is, is such a fundamentally simple idea, but one that's actually like pretty foreign and it, and it can be, it can be simple, right? So just thinking about a starting point with sex positivity is what are sensations in your body? Developing a positive relationship with your body and your body image, advocating for your own sexual health, thinking about prioritizing healthy sex in your relationships. Like these are all so, so personal and, and, and deeply varied across the board that, you know, it's like what, as, as you and I can be individual lighthouses and say, you know, this is who I am, what people do with the mirror that we create, you know, is, is a completely other, other ball game. To that end, if we're thinking about non-monogamy, which I love as a topic. Yeah. It's one of the areas that I worked on in, in graduate school. It's one of the identities that I hold as a polyamorous person. Why do you think it's important to show a slice of life that mm, is rare, I think, truly? Why is that important? Well, first of all, <laughs> we've got a lot of folks practicing unethical non-monogamy, i.e. cheating. Mm-hmm. And our our infidelity rates for women are going up year by year, um, and we are catching up to men whose rates have stayed pretty constant. Yeah. So infidelity is is rampant, and when we when we're talking about infidelity, we're talking about a shame cesspool because there is a shame that comes along with being the person cheated on. There's a shame being the person who strays normally too. There's so much shame there, and not to say that. ENM or ethical non-monogamy or polyamory are the cure-all to to cheating and infidelity because people do it for a variety of reasons. But if there's this thing that is now so prevalent, isn't it time that we have an open and honest discussion about whether there are different ways to live and love that might suit us better? And I am proud to say, you know, I don't have the perfect air quotes, because there's no such thing, romantic life, but like, and, and yeah, there's so many hard conversations that have to come along with being polyamorous. But, you know, I've been with my primary partner for over five years now. And I, you know, we have our other people too. And, and I stumble and people get, you know, hurt here and there, but I've never felt so free and in integrity with who I am as I do now. Mm. Um, And for folks who are like, yep, no, I'm firmly in the monogamy camp. That's all good. But there's so many good lessons to be learned from the polyamorous community in terms of good communication, in terms of giving a name to jealousy and uncomfortable emotions. Like we are forced to have these conversations because you can't do ENM without them. And I think if there was if there were more of these conversations happening in monogamous relationships, we would see a lot healthier relationships. I agree. And, and the, the space that I kind of take it from and why I self-disclose is because I feel visibility is really important Yeah, in, in all the ways. And a lot of times when we look at society, you know, a question that I ask is, well, how did we get this way? You know, how, how did our normative standards become the way that we are? When we look at, 
you know, civilization from an anthropological perspective, there are so many different uh, communal standards, relational standards, family structures, uh, standards of sexuality. And, you know, as we're looking at the world now, a lot of the way that it's set up isn't working for people anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And things are changing. It, they are. And, you know, a, a book that I'll throw out there, uh, Untrue by Dr. Wednesday Martin is so good because it talks about how pretty much everything we thought we knew about infidelity when it comes to women, about sexual desire is actually wrong and how the new science can set us free. And she, I mean, the book is just fascinating. I love it. I recommend it to anyone with an earshot, but, um, she discusses how we got here and from an anthropological perspective, from a capitalist and patriarchal perspective and why monogamy, right? And and the the history behind it and why so many of us are struggling with it today. And um, anyway, I can't give the book justice in, in just a couple minutes, but it is it is probably my favorite on this larger topic that we're discussing. Yeah, absolutely. And And when we think about how we move thought leadership into the world. It, it's, it, is, um, it is a drop in the bucket, but it's an important drop because it causes a big splash and it signals to other people to think differently, to look up and out, to begin thinking about the world critically you know, and differently. Um, sitting where you are now, an example of a person who was unhappily married, sounds like, you know, not in touch with yourself or your sexuality, a prosecutor, and then moving to this space of self-defined freedom, uh, reclamation of body, self, soul is, is quite extraordinary. And so looking at that process implicitly and saying, well, you know, what is it about Rena that we can learn from, you know, and what can we glean from the, the trail that you're blazing, I think is, is a really important important question. So first I want to say thank you <laughs> for doing this work and being who you are. I mean, thank you. And if we're talking about all the different points along the journey, if I, I would not be here um, had it not been for the work that you've done in the world, Noel, and creating Lumia. And um, so I'm, I'm sending that thank you right back to you as well. Uh, uh, and it's hard to do this work. You know, it's, it's hard to be um, somebody out there with a book, with talking points on TV, uh, with a fan base, with notoriety, with comments and Instagram, you know, and all of those things. And it requires an extraordinary amount of grit and bravery. Um, why this? Why now? Mm. I... I think like, why not? That was really what came to mind when I was making the decision to leave the DA's office and to coach mm -hmm. full time. I thought to myself, if not me, then who? I know very few people who, who have the kind of background that I do who go into coaching, um, who've had the level of contact that I've had with survivors and interviewing children and women and you know, the entire spectrum of what it means to survive trauma. And with that, as somebody who does not have children, I don't have a mortgage, you know, all the things that people would say, well, I would switch careers and pursue my passions. But I thought, if not me, then who? 
And so why now? I, I feel like I didn't have a choice. It was a calling like this. And it was the scariest decision I've ever made. And I've made quite a few, Noel, but, but um, I wasn't ready for to come to my own reckoning until it happened in my marriage. And then I reached a point where I was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. And with my career, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I have, I found something else that, that is going to allow me to serve um, my role here on earth, which is, I believe to help people. That's, that's what I was put here to do or, or sprouted from the ground to do, depending on what you believe. And um, so why now? Why not? Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, one of the things that at Lumia that I'm so deeply proud of are the amount of diverse voices that we foster and, and the extraordinary people who come out of our organization who are really for real changing things in the world. Um, so thinking about the next generation, thinking about the people who are following in your footsteps, who are sitting there and saying, I want to be a coach. I want to quit my job. I want to leave my marriage. I want to, I want, I want act too. I believe I have something to say. What would you share with those humans right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, Lumia says your story is your gold and that is absolutely true. You want to be the example to folks um, of, of what change looks like. Because if they see that, and, and change is going to look different depending on what type of coach you are and what your niche is. And I, I'm a, I'm one of those people who thinks that that niches are really important. Um, I know that there are general life coaches out there too, but people aren't looking for a life coach. They are looking for a change or a solution. And so, what solution are you offering them? Like what? What answer are you giving them? And find something that is your why and your North Star because people can smell bullshit from a mile away, right? Like you you need to embody the thing and the solution and the change that you're trying to bring people. And so what is your unique story, right? And, and so really turning inward um, it, as a way to say, look, I'm here with you. I've been through this road myself and I want to make it a little bit more smooth for you than it was for me. I think that is such a common coaching narrative for people. I want to make this journey um, more seamless for others so that they don't have to go through all the struggles I did. I mean, that's certainly my journey. That's why I wrote this book because I'm like, this is the book I needed. I needed during those years it took me. This is the book I needed. Um, so that would be my advice to folks. Like harness your story and use that as a way to serve others. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Do you have a copy of your book handy next to you? Thought you might. Perfect. So this, this is the baby that's out now. Where can folks find it? Everywhere books are sold. So um, yeah, if you if you want kind of a little repository, you can head on over to my website, renamartine.com forward slash book, but it's available uh, on all the retailers, the indies online. Um, if you're near Barnes and Noble, most of the shops are carrying it in person. Um, but yeah, it's everywhere. Awesome. 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 And where else can folks find you? Where do you want people to connect with you? 
Find me on Instagram. I'm on TikTok, but I'm just going to say it's the wild, wild west out there. So please send me a DM on Instagram or contact me through my website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been a wonderful conversation. We can't, we are super fans over at Limia cheering you on all day uh, when we see you on television (laughs) doing all the things, right? So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we can't wait to keep following your journey. Thank you, Noelle, for everything. Oh, you bet. You bet. We'll do it again. Thanks for listening to Everything Life Coaching. If you're feeling the draw to become a coach, head to lumiacoaching.com slash everything. Explore a new career that brings fulfillment, gives you a true sense of purpose and a bold community to do it with. Lumia is ready to equip you with the tools, training and community you will need to reach your goals. If you're ready to build a unique coaching business on your own terms while making an impact on the world at large, Lumia is the next bold step in your coaching journey. That's lumiacoaching.com slash everything. And hey, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it.